This is Ed Black, and I'd like to welcome everybody to another edition of the RG Tech Studio podcast. On this edition, I'm here with my uh, friend and uh, colleague, Ed Baer. Ed Baer is one of our superstars in the asset management category, specific focus on ETFs. Ed, it is wonderful to have you here. Thank you so much for coming. Well, thanks for having me, Ed, and thanks for calling me a superstar. You deserve it. I've seen you practice law. So, uh, but but before we get to the questions, can you just tell us a little bit about your history, about yourself, sort of how you got to Ropes and Gray and who you are? Sure. Uh, I'm in the San Francisco office of Ropes and Gray. I wound up in San Francisco after working at BlackRock for a long time. Um, when BlackRock bought BGI, I was transferred from New York to San Francisco. And for a bunch of years, I ran the legal team for iShares, which is a big ETF firm. And I did that something interesting. I went from from private practice to in-house and then back from in-house to private practice. And the main sort of downside of all that is I had to take the California bar 20 years after graduating law school. I take it you did, you did it the hard way. 90 days off work, nothing but studying, all that. <laughs> um, I took two weeks off between starting at where, you know, working your ropes and <laughs> I studied I studied the stuff that I didn't know. I had practiced for a long time, so it was really not that big a deal. Well, as someone who graduated from UC Berkeley and took the California bar and experienced it as a form of exquisite torture, I, I, I'm, I, you, you're obviously a better lawyer than me. Uh, it, was, it was super hard for me, although I did make it through. So uh, let's see. All right. And, and you live in San Francisco? It's not just your home base for practice. It's home base for life? Uh, yeah, yeah, in the Bay Area. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of east of the of the city, um, and it's kind of a world away uh, in terms of of environment. It's significantly warmer in the summer, and um, actually a bit cooler in the winter where I live. And even though it's 17 miles from the office. Okay, just on the other side of those hills. Let's get to it. I mean, the first question I have for you is a general question. Inside ropes right now, who are the clients you focus on, and what is it that you do? That makes them happy clients. Sure. So, um, so I do work with a, mostly with ETF clients. That is the bulk of my practice. But I do also do a number of uh, crypto things. And in fact, ETFs are how I got involved in the crypto space. Um, I was I was hired shortly after I joined Ropes. I was hired by the Winklevoss twins to help out with a, a Bitcoin ETF. Uh, ultimately, that was unsuccessful, and and it's remained unsuccessful for lots of other clients, including clients that I've worked with. So. I work with big, you know, big established asset managers, and and uh, also with startup asset managers. And, and I'm fortunate when my with my BlackRock experience, I have lots of friends who are at other asset managers, some of whom start up ETF uh, companies. Wow! And all right, completely out of order. I just got to ask the question: Are we ever going to get an exchange traded Bitcoin, you know, instrument out there, an ETF, an ETP? Is it going to happen? Um, I think it'll happen at some point. I don't think it's likely to happen while the current SEC chair is the chair. Um, right now, there's some litigation that is going on for one of the firms that was denied its uh, opportunity to list, and they're suing under the Administrative Procedures Act. And so that might be the catalyst, but those those lawsuits tend to take years. And so, so I'm not optimistic that there'll be anything in the next couple of years at the very least. If you had to think, about these clients in the ETF space that you're working with, 
uh, and, and you look in particular at how tech is driving activity around ETFs. Are there key issues that are on your plate, you know, right now where you see tech playing a critical role in how we, how the clients see the issues, the issues they're facing, how we help them solve those problems, uh, anything along those lines? Yeah, sure. So the ETF industry has traditionally viewed itself as sort of like a, a financial tech solution, right? So it takes, mm. you know, a traditional pooled investment vehicle and then sort of permits sort of daily uh, intraday trading and the creation and redemption process for ETFs is very sort of uh, reliant on, you know, baskets of portfolios that are constructed electronically. There's there's sort of calculations that are done throughout the day. The history of ETFs is that there's sort of a technology-based solution. Um, it's largely been uh, an equity solution for most part. So ETFs in the fixed income space are, are much smaller, much less popular, have been around for less time. Um, but there's really a lot of opportunity in the ETF uh, space for fixed income. And so one of the things that, that we're helping clients with is to, to figure out how to uh, develop systems to trade fixed income ETFs in such a way um, that they're able to transact similar to how uh, equity ETFs have worked. And is that, is that something you say you're working on that right now? Can you be specific? Well, sure. So I have one particular client, Bond Blocks, and um, I, you know, I work very closely with them. And as I mentioned, those are friends of mine that, that started this shop, and they're one of the right. uh, only shops that's out there that was formed specifically um, to work on um, fixed income ETFs. And these are all people who are sort of experts in the field. They were very uh, early pioneers in the ETF space for ETF capital markets and and trading technology and you know, before they before they set up their their operations, I spent hours and hours out with them on the phone with their their consultants, the software uh, designer for the trading system, and we talked yeah. about how to sort of efficiently create um, ETF baskets and and sort of monitor um, the activity. And and so that's one of the things that you know I feel it's not typical for a for a outside lawyer to sort of work on that sort of level. Mm -hmm. It's not difficult to roll up your sleeves the way you do when you're helping your clients because of all that in-house experience you had, though, you're really able to help them get things done. Yeah, no, that, that's exactly right. I, I, like I said, I sat on the phone with their consultant who was sort of a person who designed these trading systems. And we, right. he, you know, he sort of asked me a bunch of questions and said, you know, what do you think about this? Will this work legally, et cetera? And we sort of come, came up with a system, and that's the system they've, they've implemented to construct their baskets and monitor their fixed income port portfolio position. Let me come back a little bit to crypto, which you mentioned. I mean, I, I get it. I jumped in with that big question early about are we ever going to get an exchange-traded instrument. But I know that there's lots of other practical questions around crypto that are, again, are kind of like this, this area where, you know, you've helped bond blocks. That is... People are trying to structure or essentially market infrastructure capabilities that allow the liquidity and the trading that will make all of these things go. Uh, and when you think about, you know, crypto and, and uh, uh, everything on the blockchain, I know there's a lot of, uh, at least what I read in the paper, a lot of interest. Well, uh, is there infrastructure? Are there trading platforms? Are there custodians? Is it all secure? And, and uh, have you engaged with that? area? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you're correct. The, the irony is, is 
crypto was originally sort of formed to kind of disintermediate official entities and things like that. And as it sought to gain legitimacy, they've been embraced by sort of the traditional finance world. So Mm -hmm. custodians and, and, you know, central counterparties and, and things like that. And so, so we've, you know, we've worked very closely with a lot of our clients. Um, We have, you know, a large university endowments and things, and they have, they have, these wide portfolios and many of them have been, you know, exploring crypto. And so we work with some of the custodians and uh, try and set up, you know, custody agreements, trading agreements and things like that for these large institutional investors. And it's, it's kind of interesting because these are very sophisticated, you know, investors, but when it comes to to crypto, it's just not the same thing that they're used to doing. Their custody arrangements, for instance, are, are completely different because instead of just going to a big bank like State Street or, or Boney Mellon or something like that, they have to work with a firm that, you know, called Kraken or something like that or Coinbase, you know, something that's completely new. And while they're pretty well established for crypto, they've all been formed in like the last 10 years, you know. It sounds to me like this is another one of those situations where your ability to roll up your sleeves and really be practical because of your hands-on experience in these markets really uh, pays dividends. But do I have that right? Well, I, I'd certainly like to think so. Um, you know, the, the, the traditional custody model, right, talks about, yeah. um, you know, securing assets and things like that. And, and so when you have a, an equity security or a bond, you, you can represent that on your books by having a book entry right. through an official depository, et cetera. Right. Like there's sort of evidence. With digital assets, the evidence is a little harder to prove because it, it's essentially a private key paired with a public key on this public blockchain where other people can see that it's there. And, and how do you evidence sort of control over that? And how do you keep that secure? And it involves rapidly evolving technologies. You know, they talk about cold storage, which is things that are completely offline, not connected to the internet anywhere. Right. And they talk about warm storage where, you know, in order to facilitate transactions, you have to be somewhat connected. And so you have to sort of move between the warm storage and cold storage. You have to have these various controls in place, uh, multi-signature controls and, you know, things like sharding of private keys where you break the private key up into pieces so that you could secure it. I and mean, it requires two people to get together to sort of act on the, on the digital asset. So it's, wow. a, it's really interesting, uh, really interesting space. Fascinating stuff. Uh, all, right, all right. Well, let me ask one more one more question. At least based on what I read in the papers, when you look at the advantage of ETFs, so one of the reasons ETFs have sort of swept the market in a way, is because they're administered on kind of an automated basis. That is, they're a set investment strategy, a set investment equation, and and that dramatically decreases administrative costs. You know, you're not paying for anybody's judgment. Uh, uh, and especially in the liquid markets for ETFs, they can be something that performs for the investor with very, very low cost infrastructure. You look at that old or the rest of the world outside of ETFs, candidly, people are moving to robo-advisors, to model platforms, to all these other things that aren't ETFs, but have that same highly automated profile, frankly, high efficiency in terms of cost, are, are you engaged at all with that aspect of the way technology is affecting markets, the, the sort of automation of what used to be called discretionary investment management? Yeah, absolutely. So so 
what you described is is really the the sort of the the index ETF market, right? So this is yes. uh, an ETF that is right, tracking classic low cost, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So a classic uh, S and P 500 or Russell 1000 or or you know the Barclays Aggregate Index, sort of those big right. broad indexes that that have been traditionally used as benchmarks by institutional investors for years and years. And and mm-hmm. so the ETF is able to deliver those strategies in a very cost-effective way, um, and then when coupled with the technology that you just were describing, sort of these model portfolios and, and robo-advice platforms, ETFs are really mm-hmm. the perfect vehicle for that. So so that is one of the things that our clients are all very interested in. Is, is so know, hold on. So the robo-advisor and the model platform sits on top of the underlying ETFs. And and create that, a customized. Right. I see. Well, okay. So so customized. It, it can be customized, but often you know it's just like you would go to a financial advisor. You sit down. You talk about your risk tolerances. You talk about what you have, what your time horizons are. You talk about what you have to invest and what your goals are. And and then there's models that sort of are typically designed to fit sort of cohorts of people, not necessarily a custom or, you know custom design for you. Got it. And so. So you'll work with the robo advisor to basically, you know, online you answer these questions and it says, based on what you've said, we think this portfolio consisting of these seven ETFs and, and that'll include, you right. know, provides, large provides capital, just the right mix. It's just the right cocktail yeah. for you. Now, that, that's now right. you, and, and you work similarly, not only with the ETF people, but also with people putting together the robo advisor platforms and uh, model portfolio platforms. Uh, as well, is that right? Yeah, yeah, the, absolutely. So, so you know, the goal of of our ETF clients is to get on these platforms, and the goal of these platform clients is to be able to to offer a broad base, uh, broad number of solutions that include mm-hmm. you know ETFs from various providers, and you mm-hmm. know there's a there's this technology interface which is is you know this you know essentially a robot. You answer questions, and the robot gives right. you advice <laughs> essentially. And uh, right. that advice often consists of a portfolio of ETFs, and, and, and you know, some of them are are single uh, manager. So you might find all of all of the ETFs in the portfolio are from the same manager, and some mix it up depending on on the the right the right, right solution. Right, right. But in any event, you help them pull that together. All right. Well, well. All right. We're running a little bit of running out of time. I'm going to switch gears. In the last few minutes, uh, you know, that we have, I'm going to ask uh, a few questions now. I call this the personality test segment of the of the podcast, Ed. So silly questions, I get it, but but just give me your best answer. We'll see what we come up with. All right, are you ready? Yep. Do you go to concerts? And if so, what has been your favorite? Sure. So uh, I go to concerts, not as many as I used to, but um, growing up, most of my my earnings in high school and into college were dedicated to uh to buying concert tickets um in high school my this was probably my favorite show i managed to score tickets to live aid in philadelphia and um a bunch of my friends and i went including some of my family members and uh one of the people i brought was my current wife but who was at the time not yet my girlfriend despite my best efforts but eventually (laughs) she became my girlfriend and eventually my wife wow wow so rock concerts not, were not just fun, but they were formative to you in fundamental and important ways. And, Absolutely. And, and have you have you continued to go to rock concerts? And I got to ask now, now that I know you, your wife is your wife through your rock concert, 
have rock concerts played any other role in your family? Well, well, sure. Uh, my wife doesn't go to as many shows as I do, but my kids, uh, starting you know at a pretty young age, I got my kids going to uh, to live music. And um, one of the things we've tried to do, and this was at my kids' insistence, is they've wanted to see sort of some older, more traditional rock bands in addition to sort of more modern music. And you know, their theory is they wanted to see these bands before they're dead. And so the Who and Black Sabbath <laughs> and ACDC and others have been you know, on their wow. list. See them before they're dead. That just makes me feel so good. <laughs> Given mm-hmm. that these bands were my contemporaries. Uh, uh, and uh, Black Sabbath, ACDC, were these the concerts you sought out, both old and young? That's that's your music category? Um, uh, not so much when I was younger. Um, definitely yeah. The Who. I've been to seen The Who probably a dozen times or more, but lots of different things. Um, My taste tends to run more that direction now than it was when I was younger. So I'm probably into more heavy music now than I was previously. It just goes to show a few few years in the markets and you're a heavy metal fan. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. One more question, then we'll let you go. In a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, what is more important, the peanut butter or the jelly? I'd say the bread, frankly. Um, I, I, to me, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich requires white bread, and I grew up on the East Coast, and that means Wonder Bread, and that's what I grew up with. Wonder Bread. And frankly, it yes. Build strong bodies twelve ways. <laughs> um, is, that, is that the is that the expression? I don't remember the expression uh, I when I was a like, kid, but I'm old. So, okay. uh, uh, and and white bread specifically, white bread specifically. Yes. That is that is correct. So, on the very rare occasions that we purchase white bread today, yeah. um, my kids are both out of out of the house and in school, um, right. college elsewhere. On the very rare occasions that we purchase white bread, I will eat over the course of a week, you know, three or four peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Otherwise, I don't really eat them that often. An interesting combination. A heavy metal fan who loves Wonder Bread. I I, I wonder <laughs> if those two things go together. Thank you, and thank everybody who listened for joining me on the most current edition of the RG Tech Studio podcast. The RG Tech Studio podcasts are available on the Ropes and Gray website on the RG Tech Studio page. They are also posted and available through all of the normal streaming services everywhere you get your podcasts. Thank you so much.